0: Welcome to the State of Being show. I am Michelle Sayat, your host, and in today's episode, I had the wonderful pleasure of interviewing Ryan Ramirez. So Ryan Ramirez is super cool. He's based in London, UK, and he is actually the owner and founder of Boom Dickity, which is this really cool hip hop dance studio choreography. Uh, class where he teaches people how to dance and get into the movement and tap into their emotions and mental well-being through the art form of dancing and choreography. And while he's doing that, he's also a mental mindset coach, life coach. And so I find this to be such an interesting blend of merging the art form of both dance And mindset coaching to the forefront. So, I really enjoyed talking to him in this episode, and we covered a lot of topics such as imposter syndrome, the art of lying, why do people lie? And it actually stems from a more uh, deep inner place where there's a lot of shame surrounding that. And so, we kind of dive deep into that kind of conversation. And we talk a little bit more about his background and what it's like growing up in a family where there's just very strict parental uh, upbringing for both of us. He definitely has this calm, grounding energy to him, and he also kind of goes in depth of what makes him an empowered empath and why he wants to serve his community. So yeah, let's get this episode started.
1: So yeah, I've, my background is in dancing. I've I've been dancing and teaching dance for over a decade now. Um, I used to love watching Michael Jackson. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I think everyone, everyone did, but it was uh, especially Smooth Criminal. I was like, oh my gosh, how is that even possible to, to, to dance like that? And so I always really had that interest when I was young, but I never really had the opportunity to go to dance classes. Um, dance wasn't in school at that time. Um, but during my college days, I had a friend in my art class who did like popping and waving. And I was like, oh my gosh, dude, you have to teach me that. Um, and so he started teaching me. And that was the start of my dance career. And then it kind of just, it was always a hobby. It was always for fun. But it just ended up becoming my career, and it ended up me traveling all over the world, teaching dance, and yeah, it was really, I didn't expect it at all, but it was, and still is right now, because I'm still dancing now, it still is a beautiful journey, Um, and it's kind of evolving into life coaching uh, as well now.
2: And can you tell me that transition from dancing into life coaching, because I think it's so cool, and I think Mm -hmm. that you can tell me like, what the relationship between those two are, is there any sort of like, patterns or different attributes that bleeds into both?
1: Yeah, so it really started with dancing first. So it was the whole excitement of performing and learning a choreography and looking exactly the same as the other person and then kind of wowing an audience with how in sync we looked. So that was the first stage. And then it kind of went into teaching and it was a more intense fulfillment for me when i started teaching because it wasn't just about me it was i was passing something on to other people and that was the first time i felt this kind of fulfillment type of feeling um and i couldn't really explain it 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 just felt really good and i always wanted to do it and so at the same time as i was dancing I had started up my own clothing business with a couple of my college friends and some other businesses as well. So I've I've been quite entrepreneurial since uh, college. And so as I was building my businesses, there was a lot of um, personal development that had to um, intertwine with that because I didn't study business. I didn't study clothing or fashion. Um, but Google was around. And so I, I very early on was able to utilize Google as if it was like a university. I learned everything by myself. Everything that I know now was self taught. And I I don't know where I got the belief from, but I knew I could learn anything, absolutely anything. And so when my friends started seeing all the stuff that I was doing, it was very uncommon back then for someone to be so entrepreneurial, starting so many businesses, um, and so they would ask me like what am i doing how how am i doing all of these things and then i would share the stuff that i was learning and then they'd start to see the same results in their life and then it was kind of like a an even greater feeling than just teaching dance it was teaching life almost like life and business skills right and so a lot of people would say to me dude you should you should do public speaking you should be a life coach and people said that here and there for about 2 3 years and I never really took it on board because it wasn't something I thought of as a profession. It was just sharing. I was just literally sharing what I was learning. Um, And then a couple of years ago, I decided to actually make it my profession because it's the thing that brings me the absolute greatest feeling of fulfillment. Yeah.
2: Beautiful, and thank you so much for sharing that. And so my next question to you is, what are some of the common pain points that you notice um, people that come to you asking for guidance? What are they most struggling with?
1: It's always, it's always got to do with either something mental or emotional. Um, And even when it doesn't seem that way, like maybe it's um, achieving goals or relationships or um, something business related, um, it always comes back down to, Uh, their mental and emotional well-being always because everything that people are striving to do is to attain that greater feeling always it always is Um, we just have different stories in terms of how we believe we achieve that and how we get there so it's always I've really focused on on mindset and over the years that I've been studying I've been studying for like maybe eight nine years personal development And all the stuff that I was trying to learn about myself, first of all, becoming successful, becoming financially free, becoming happy, and it all kind of led back around to spirituality and mindset. Um, and, And it was all internal. It was all invisible stuff. It wasn't skill sets or action sets. Those were a byproduct of the internal. And so I really focused a lot of my time really trying to look at how the human behavior worked and human potential and as soon as I started um, really figuring out and understanding how life works people started getting results way quicker because it wasn't we weren't we weren't doing surface level stuff we were going straight to the root of the problem um, and once once I, I saw the progress that people made I couldn't go back to tactics or strategies or, or skills because all of those are byproducts people can learn you can learn absolutely anything on google it's not about the information or the how to it's always about what's going on internally what's what are we struggling with what's blocking us from expressing who we really are yeah.
2: so basically um and correct me if i'm wrong um it's what you do for your clients it's a very customized approach it really depends on specifically what they're going through and you have different modalities, methodologies
1: mm, mm, to yeah.
2: kind of help solve their problems.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's very tailor-made um, because I can't, I can't provide um, a solution without first diagnosing the problem, right? It's, it's like, it's like a doctor mm-hmm. just giving everyone paracetamol without first asking well, what are they experiencing, what are they going through? So there's always this kind of consultation or diagnosing phase where I really try to understand what's going on for the person to see first of all, if I can even help. Um, But I already from experience, I have a great idea that I can help because all problems are the same. It's always coming from, from the mindset. So yeah, 100%.
2: Gotcha. And you also mentioned in earlier conversation that we had, that you consider yourself to be an empath. So mm. what does being an empath mean to you and how has it impacted both your life and your business?
1: Good question, yeah. Um, I didn't know I, I was an empath before. I just thought I was really quiet and shy and, mm. and really not normal, right? Because everyone that I thought was normal were the people that were socializing. Right? And I wasn't very great at socializing. Um, I would just always be my computer on online chats. That was how I communicated with people uh, when I was a teenager. Um, but what, empath, what being an empath like means to me is, it's actually, I, I really, over time, started to really understand what it was and what it meant and how powerful it was versus uh, broken. Like it's, I totally misunderstood what being an empath was. And to me, it's really being aligned and in tune with yourself and being able to do the same with other people as well, right? Because it starts with us, right? Being an empath, we're with ourselves a lot, right? We get really in tune with ourselves a lot, but that really builds this ability to really sense, right? Really sense what's going on inside. And when it comes to other people, we're very sensitive to other people's energies as well. That's why sometimes it's a bit overwhelming for us to actually be around a lot of people because we feel it so much, right? So mm-hmm. for me, um, how it's helped oh, once I started really understanding it, it built really, really deep connections, really deep relationships that I don't think I could have built without being an empath. I really don't, not as quick as, as I did, and not going as deep as I could with with people, is a lot of the people that I um, that I communicate with and build relationship relationships with, they all seem like best friends or family. It's it's just we get there, we go we go deep, um, and yeah, I really attribute that to being an empath.
2: And what advice would you give to someone that has just kind of realized that they're an empath and they're emotionally, you know, they're sensitive and they, they're aware of it and they're struggling with it. They're struggling with their emotions. They don't really know what to, what the next step is. Like, What kind of tips or advice would you give someone that's kind of in this confused state of kind of coming into this part of their identity as an empath?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I, I would really I would really sit with it and get to know it, right? It's it's almost it's almost like we we judge something we judge the stuff that we're unfamiliar with, right? Mm-hmm. And what you'll find is is when you kind of sit with that feeling and question it, really question it to to get certain answers that you want to find out about it, you start to see that it's it's the closest thing to you it's really a part of you and it's really supportive and loving to you um and it's a lot of the times people will either fear it or um uh, resist it or avoid it
2: why do you think that is like the resistance and the fear
1: yeah it's just the unfamiliarity of it right it's um it's quite intense and when you don't know what Kind of intensity it is. It gets scary. It really does get scary. Um, But what you'll find is, is as you sit with it and and get to know it better, you get to direct that energy, right? That energy will go wherever you put your attention onto, right? And and questions are a great uh, a great way to um, make that energy flow into the direction that you you're wanting answers for in your life. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I would. My, my advice would always be to stop thinking right it's the mm. thinking that creates the fear and creates the doubts and creates the worries it's not it's not really the feeling right That's the feeling mm. the feeling is is natural it's there right and it's it's there to guide us the thinking or the commentary that we put on top of that feeling is the issue it's always the issue mm.
2: I definitely can resonate with that because when I first started out my journey as an empath and I was really struggling with like the intensity of my emotions, Mm -hmm. I would always like talk myself out of the feeling that I would experience and kind of devalue the feelings by using logic and reason but it's like speaking two languages with one another that's internal and it just causes more confusion and chaos um Mm -hmm. so I really resonated with what you said about letting go of the thinking part and just kind of embracing the feeling part even though it is intense and can be intense I think once we like surrender and accept the emotion even though it can be uncomfortable and not try to talk ourselves out of it mm. it can be a very liberating um experience so thank you for mm. sharing that that's actually very insightful You're welcome yeah and so what do you think are some of the common misconceptions about being an empath that other people that you know are hearing this term for the first time like what would what would be something that you would like to bring to light
1: mm. so f- I, I can just talk about my experience with it before and after. Before, sure. I used to really think it was weakness. I used to think that I was soft. I used to think that I was feminine. I used to, it, there was just a lot of weaknesses that I, I would perceive it. And I, I'm not too sure if it was all me or if it was coming at me as well. Um, it wasn't really accepted. I was meant to be this macho guy, right? But I was the one that all the girls liked because I was so friendly and I was so... timid it was it was was weird it's not what i wanted when i was in school i wanted to be the opposite um so yeah i built a lot of misconceptions around being an empath like the biggest one just being weakness and now i actually see it as my superpower it's almost like i've got this spidey sense it's super cool it's it's what makes me such a powerful coach in in my opinion because i get to feel what's behind the words i don't i don't just take people's words or people's stories at face value I really sense what's going on underneath it so they can people can lie to me like right to my face I can tell if they're lying or not that's like a superpower man like I don't know about you but that once I started really seeing seeing that mm-hmm. it, it just became really cool and I love like superheroes and, and Marvel and anime and stuff so it was like it was super awesome uh, for me yeah 100%. Super That's cool.
2: awesome. And yeah, the lying part, I can definitely resonate with that. It's almost as if I wished I could tone down the sensitivity a little bit because it's like <laughs> I don't want to know that you just lied to me. It's like, dang it. Cause there's like two dialogues happening at the same time. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know that I'm being lied to. Yeah. i like, uh-huh, yeah. totally cool. Yeah. And it's like, at what point do I just like tell them, like, I know that you're lying to me, like, Mm -hmm. it's okay, just, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to judge you or see you any differently. I would rather know the truth, even though it comes at a level of discomfort, but I think Mm -hmm. the trust is a much more valuable asset than Mm -hmm. um, being careful with my feelings and then just me finding out later or in the moment when my radar goes off and I'm like, I'm being lied Mm -hmm. (laughs) to, being lied to. Um, so that's a funny point that you brought up and I think that's where you and I differ where it's like, it's funny because I almost wish my radar would be less, the volume would turn down a bit lower Mm. because when I first started being really in tune with my emotions as well as the emotions of other people, I became so sensitive that I, everything that people said, I can just kind of sift through really quickly and just make out the truths and the lies. Mm. And even people that I really loved and trusted that I felt really close to. And I had so many moments of solitude where I had to take a step back. And I was like, why? Like, why the lies? Mm. Like, mm. It, felt, it felt kind of sad. Like, just knowing that we live in a society where there's not as much empathy as I would like to see. And there's a lot of fear in replacement of that. And therefore the side effect of fear and being judged in such a judgmental society is lying. Mm. Lying for the sake of saving yourself from potential judgment of other people Mm. and for seeking validation. And so I also kind of have compassion around people that choose to, I guess, omit the truth or omit the full story or sugarcoat the truth Mm. and that's in a way a kind of a lie. So I guess everyone's definition of lying is different Yeah, and for Mm. me it's just about like if you are compromising your authenticity um, for the sake of other people, I do consider that as a lie Um, and it's it's just kind of sad, I think. Yeah. Um, but I do have love for people that are going through that because I know yeah. it stems from a more like fearful place.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I mean, that, that's, that's why I do what I do, right? It's people haven't had the opportunity to be around people who accept them fully for who they are, right? Mm-hmm. There's always an expectation. And so we play up to that expectation and we people please, right? Because that's how we feel we're gonna be accepted. Like even for me early on, I had no one who I could fully 100% open up to. It was compartmentalized, like um, for for this friend I can talk about this, for that friend I can talk about that. But it was never one person that I could fully be myself with, right? This was, I had to learn that. I had to learn, um, it, it came about when I started teaching and I started coaching people, people would only open up and be as vulnerable as I could be. I had, mm-hmm. to, I had to set the tone, I had to be the example because no one would go deeper than I could go with myself, right? So being that for other people, I've seen it loads of times that a lot of my clients, they're, they're so closed up early on, right? But after talking and, and showing that I'm someone they can trust, after showing them that it's a safe space to share, they open up and they they go to places that they've never really been before and it, and it gets really emotional because it's they've they've suppressed it they've suppressed stuff that they've wanted they've wanted to express for so long that it feels like a relief to actually let it go to actually just speak about it like yeah. to keep stuff like that inside it's just not healthy for us emotionally right and so
2: yeah
1: i when i see people lying like you said it's 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 the understanding that really brings a light to people, right? Understanding that it's not their fault that they're lying. They're lying as a, as a coping mechanism, right? And if we can help shine a light to, to show them that the stuff, the emotions, the experience that they're, they're trying to find, they're, they're not experiencing it because of the lies. They're not experiencing it because they're closed off, right? All the deeper emotions that they want to experience comes as a byproduct of opening up right and and that's all i really help my clients to do because all the experience is in there all their answers are there and so it's just about when i see people lying i i question that why are they lying right i try my best to understand that and i just really love helping people i love seeing people be happier and so there's this kind of deep mission in me Whenever someone's so closed off, I really get curious about them because I want to help them, and, and that's yeah. always that's always been my mission as a, as a coach.
2: Thank you for sharing that. Um, that was incredibly insightful. And when you were talking, I thought I kind of had this light bulb moment. And when we talk about you know the concept of you know lying, and it comes from this deep fearful place of like not accepting oneself do you think that there's a relationship between the behavior of, you know, being less than truthful and also imposter syndrome and fully stepping fully into your self-worth? Do you have mm. any thoughts about that?
1: It's, it's all, um, it's all first of all, stemming from a misunderstanding of who we are and how we work. Right. Mm. And, and what I mean by that is we have this amazing gift called, imagination right and we can use it like infinitely in so many different directions and the power of the mind is that whatever we project with our imagination we believe as true right like if, if we if um, if we believe it, it is because we think it's true and the misunderstanding is that it's just our imagination right so a lot of the times we're not experiencing the world out there we're experiencing our thinking about the world right and so that's why some people um are very pessimistic or very doubtful and, and worrisome and other people are ambitious and optimistic it's not got to do with anything out there it's got to do with how we're thinking right so when we have imposter syndrome it's one of two things it's either we have really doubtful and negative self-talk about ourselves mm. right or we just don't have the right skills yet to be able to deliver what we're trying to deliver, right? So early on, I think we have imposter syndrome at any time, no matter how good our skills are, right? Because again, it's, we're projecting um, a very, uh, a small self-talk on ourselves, right? And it's neither true or false, right? It's just what we're um, habitually thinking. And that can change, right? That's the good thing. Um, and. When people feel like they can't change it, it's because they don't really understand it. It's their thinking that's that's creating it. They think it's something real outside that. um, There's either this victim mentality or this leadership mentality, Mm. right? And the victim mentality is when we're lost in our thinking and we think stuff's just happening to us, right? But the leadership mentality is that we know we have some degree of control of our thinking and we can redirect it. Like we don't need to think that certain thought about being an imposter, let's take a step forward and see if it's true, Let, let's um, use the feedback and the data to say whether we're an imposter or not, because so many times when I felt like an imposter as a coach, I would be super nervous to have a session with someone, and it became the best session for them, and I'm like, how did it happen when I felt like an imposter, and I just almost changed someone's life in like less than an hour, so it, it never adds up. The thinking that I have about myself nev- never really gets proven in the real world, right? And mm-hmm. I would just, for anyone who's feeling anything like that, who has any sort of negative self-talk about themselves, test it out. Ask people and see if they actually say those things because you'll find that we, we're really hard on ourselves, really hard on ourselves.
2: And why do you think we're so hard on ourselves?
1: Hmm. I think it 's culture and society um,
2: mm.
1: I mean just speaking from like a an Asian perspective it's, I see it I see the same thing for all my friend all my asian friends parents um, We get treated the same it 's such a strict and um, for for me personally, I never felt like I was worth it. Like I never felt like my 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 mum really approved of me and what I was doing because I was always a rebel. I was always like the black sheep. I was always I was always different and and I didn't know I was just trying to express my creativity. I thought I was doing something wrong back then. That's how I that's how I received when I would get told off or when my mum would speak to me. Like for example, I used to really really hate this. Um, I used to be such. Um, such a teacher's pet in school, right, in secondary school, like the whole year, 100% punctuality, um, 100% like good results, Um, all the teachers loved me, come parents evening, all the teachers would say amazing stuff to my mum, and my mum would be like, really, he's not like that at home, and and all this stuff, and I'll be looking at her, I'll be like, you're just like ruining my reputation right now in school, and (laughs) and and this this was just an uh, insight that I had um, this year is the worthiness issues I have is because of incidences like that where I thought I had proved how worthy I was, and then it gets shut down by someone who's who's raised me who sh- who's my mother right so to when you really um y- you feel like the person who's raised you knows you the best right so and, and because they're older, we take, you know, you're always meant to respect your elders, right? And you see them as authority. So you take their word more than your own, right? And and so until you really start trusting your inner guidance again, you're going to be living your parents' um, perspective about you. And that's where I, I feel the really small self-image comes in um, when it comes to um especially Asia. I can't really speak for Asians because that was my upbringing and experience. Yeah.
2: Man, like everything that you said, I resonated with it to a complete T. It's almost as if mm. we had identical childhoods. Um, I went through the exact same things, like mm. teacher's pet wanting to, you know, just, I was a rule follower, goody two mm. shoes. And I loved it. Like I really, mm. I really did. And my mom and my dad, but especially my mom, like nothing I ever did was good enough. Mm. Ever. Mm. Um, Like it, it was as if she created new obstacle courses for me just to see how high I could jump. Like mm. what were, what was my limit? She wanted to know my limitation, not the possibility, not the potential, but truly I think she, because she had a lot of her own wounding and she had a really tough mother, because my Mm -hmm. grandma is tough, nothing ever pleases her. Nothing is good enough for her. And Mm -hmm. so I see how that directly affects my mom. And it took a lot of self-work and therapy to Mm -hmm. arrive to where I am today, where I can observe, all of this from a more detached loving standpoint but man I just remembered being so frustrated and angry as a kid Mm -hmm. and like it's interesting because it almost creates a self-fulfilling prophecy like when your parents tell you enough times that you're not good enough you believe it and you start acting out so Mm -hmm. I remembered like I kind of had this turning point midway into elementary school years I was like you know what if you really think I'm that bad of a child that you say I am, I will show to you how bad I can actually be. (laughs) And I started just like, I have this really funny story where I would collect ladybugs in like Tic Tac boxes. And (laughs) I got bullied a lot in school because I was really short. Like my growth spurt didn't happen until middle school. So I was like the shortest kid in school was like quiet Asian girl. And I was in a uh, predominantly like white and Hispanic community so I kind of stood out like a sore thumb and people didn't really like me and English wasn't my first language so um I struggled like just speaking I had a stuttering problem I wasn't confident and so I would put ladybugs in these like little girls lunchboxes the one that would tease me and make fun of my haircut um and then I would just get in trouble I get sent to the principal's office like week after week I was like see mom like everything that you said about me it's true I'm actually awful Mm -hmm. I decided to kind of make more fun and more light of it but it just came from a really sad place and I needed some cheering up So I didn't know what else to do. So my coping mechanism was truly acting out and being the rebellious girl that my mom said I was, even though truly inside, like it couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, So I thank you, you know, for sharing that story and just being so honest. Um, And I think it really does tie back to culture. yeah, like my mom, she's Chinese, my dad's Thai, and they're both so strict. Mm. Um, and I know my other friends as well that are Asian, they go through very similar problems where they struggle with self-worth and confidence because it was questioned at a very early age mm. during childhood upbringing.
1: It's it's hard because early on, we don't know how to... Um, is, is we take things literally. We don't, you know, our communication skills at that time is very limited. And, but our imagination is like huge, right? And so we, we, could, we could totally like escalate what that means about us, but in, in the wrong direction, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's just unfortunate that our parents um, or the, the older generation didn 't really realize what they were doing to us like because I know they always come from a loving place, right like I can see that now, and totally didn 't see that before, um, but the way they used to communicate that across to us it just n- never landed for me in a loving way it was it was just harsh and <laughs> yeah it was it was super i just like you, it took me a long time to really detach from all of that and and see it for what it was and See that I totally misunderstood and totally conceptualized the wrong thing. Um, and even now, when I speak with my mum, even asking her about certain things, she said that that was not her intention at all. Like she didn't even realize she was doing that, right? So it's again, as kids, we can't do that. We don't know to to speak and get clarification, or um, you know, to question our assumptions, like. That's, we're not taught that, we're not taught that in school, we just take things as they come. So yeah, it's, I have super compassion for, for all, all my Asian people because they're, they're very similar to us. I think the, the movie Crazy Rich Asians was a perfect, right? It shows, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, that, that's how common, it, it was so successful because it's so common, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a common thread for our through, all Asian cultures. So even my girlfriend, she's Nepali, and like a lot of my friends, they're, they're Indians and um, it's, it's similar, it's very similar, super similar. So it's, yeah, but at the same time, because we've been able to detach from it and really evolve and grow from it, we have the potential to actually help other people to do the same now.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you again for sharing that. And so. My last question to you is, what is a legacy that you would like to leave behind and be remembered for?
1: Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, i when i When I look at my whole life um, through all the different things that I've done, I've seen one common thread throughout the whole thing, and it's always is always an attempt to make people happier. So, for me, I really just want to leave the world like in a happier place than um, than when I was here. I really want to have an impact to help people to really see their happiness and well being, and just impact as many people as I can in my lifetime.
2: Absolutely, thank you so much for sharing that. And is there any last words that you would like to share with the audience?
1: Um, I think just really, really trust and embrace who you are. Um, I know through social media, through friends, through family, we have a lot of stories about who we are. And I, I promise you, I promise you 100% all of them are false. All of them are false. If it makes you feel any sort of if it doesn't make you feel loved or um peaceful or um cared for or grateful it's wrong mm. it's 100 percent wrong um and and please keep following michelle because i think the work you're doing is super powerful um and i really enjoy our conversations i think you know, if we were in, in school together, I think we would have been best friends. I think I would have been helping you put ladybugs in people's just <laughs> because that sounds so cool and I'm wondering why I didn't do yeah. that in school myself. But Yeah, I, I, I really love the work you're doing and I really wish you all the success as well. Thank you
2: so much. That truly means a lot, Ryan. And where can people find you if they want to learn more about
1: you? So you can find me on Instagram at Ryan underscore RMRZ. Um, or you can find me on Facebook at uh, the Ryan Ramirez. Ryan Ramirez is such a common name; I had to put the in front of it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Amazing! Thank you so much, Ryan, for being on the State of Being podcast. I really appreciate it. And you know, everything that you just mentioned, I have to say it right back at you. I really think we would have been best friends if we went to Mm -hmm. school together. We share a similar sentiment and energy with our perception of the world and just wanting Mm -hmm. to help. And Mm -hmm. so I really appreciate the work that you're doing as well. And, you know, if there's anything I can do to support you, please don't hesitate. And for everyone that's listening to this episode, Please follow Ryan. He's just contributing so much and he has so many cool dance videos as well that you can find on his Instagram account. So please check it out and give him some love. Thank you so much, Ryan, for being on the show. Thank you, Michelle.
0: Hey there. Have you ever been curious on what type of inpath you are? Well, you're in luck. I created a quiz where you can discover what your empowered inpath archetype is. After working with empaths from all over the world, I wanted to develop a framework to help you step courageously and aligned in your calling. Too many of us are walking around with gifts misconstrued as weakness. It's time to put a stop to that. Uncover and cultivate the intuitive gifts you were born with. Link to the quiz is in the show notes or visit michellesay.com.